Hey guys, this is Cole. This episode is kid friendly. For creeps like me. <laughs> when you're alive, life can be fun. Go to the forest where the shadows do run. They're coming soon. They can hear you. I say it like that with merch and it sticks forever. It's it's amazing. <laughs> Y'all, it's here already. It's the 31st night of Halloween. What are your trick-or-treat plans? Sounds good. <laughs> we have two more kid-friendly stories to round out this Halloween season. Thank y'all so much for being part of this journey with us, and we hope you and your little creepster love this story. For these stories, we're still in the book, Out to Get You, 13 Tales of Weirdness and Woe, by Josh Allen, and illustrated by Sarah J. Coleman. This one is called The Voice. Something would have to be done about Miss Huber, Cindy thought. Something drastic. The school year was four months old now, and while Miss Huber didn't assign too much homework or force students to do group projects, Cindy found her methods to be problematic. It was Miss Huber's voice, the way she yelled so much, that bothered Cindy. What to do, she thought. She ran a finger along the shelf of old books that her grandmother had left her. She had a few ideas, but nothing definite. Nothing had really taken shape. One thing was certain, though. It was time for someone to stop Miss Huber. Someone with power. Silence! Miss Huber screamed. Her voice came out high-pitched and shrill, a bit like a cackling witch, exactly the way she'd intended. Her 27 students fell instantly quiet. They even stopped moving, widening their eyes and freezing at their desks with their pencils poised over their worksheets. Only the clock on the wall made a sound. Miss Huber paused while it went tick, tick, tick. There will be no more talking today, she continued, and the students stayed statue still. A warmth swelled inside Miss Huber, and she let it build and fill her up. Perfect, she thought. This is perfect. It hadn't been easy developing the perfect teacher voice. It had taken years, more than her gray-headed care to remember, to get it just right. But now, after teaching sixth grade for what seemed like forever, she'd mastered it. The voice. It was the only thing that made it possible for her to endure middle schoolers at all. The voice could make the students do anything, 
It could bring a running hallway delinquent to a sneaker skidding halt. It could send goo-goo-eyed hand holders on the softball field scampering into different directions. It could even silence an entire auditorium of gossiping students. And now, in her own class, when she wanted silence, it had brought all 27 of her students to a graveyard quiet stop. Perfect. You will spend the last seven minutes of class reading in absolute silence, Miss Huber said, softening the voice a little, but not too much. You will not daydream. You will not whisper to your neighbor, and you will not doodle in your margins. Is that clear? 27 sixth graders nodded in unison. Good, she said, bringing the voice down to a low, raspy hiss. Because if you do, I'll burn your ears with my words. She spoke this threat often, and when she did, she let her words hang in the air like a thick fog. Her students opened their books gently, the way people open magazines in quiet waiting rooms. Miss Huber smiled. Then she sat at her own desk and opened her book, The Fall of the Roman Empire. She pretended to read, but really she focused on the satisfied warmth swelling inside her. It felt so good to have control. She remembered her first few years teaching before she mastered the voice. They'd been so chaotic, so disordered. Students had shouted. They'd passed notes. they doodled. But there's none of that now, she thought as she crossed her legs, leaned back in her chair, and sighed. Just then, out of the corner of her eye, she sensed something that wasn't right. Someone in her class was acting differently. At the edge of her sight, someone's head was straight up and stiff-necked, not hunched over the book at all. Miss Huber turned. It was Cindy Watson, a small girl with mousy brown hair. Miss Huber opened her mouth, but no words came out. She didn't understand. Cindy Watson had never caused any trouble before. She turned her homework in on time. She sat with good posture at her desk. She did her worksheets in perfect silence. But Miss Huber narrowed her eyes. There was no doubt about it. Cindy Watson was not reading. Somehow, she was defying the voice. There was a book on her desk. It had a dark blue cover and the title Miss Huber couldn't make out. But it wasn't even open. Cindy was looking straight ahead with a blank expression, as if she were daydreaming out a window. Only there were no windows in Miss Huber's classroom, just solid blank walls. Miss Huber closed her own book and flung it onto her desk. How, Miss Huber thought, could this be happening? She stood up and glared at Cindy. The girl seemed not to notice. I can fix this, thought Miss Huber. I can fix this now. She cleared her throat, opened her mouth, filling her lungs with air, prepared to use the voice at 100% strength. Just then, the bell rang. And before Miss Huber could speak, Cindy shuffled out of the room to lunch along with the other students. Miss Huber exhaled, and air wheezed out of her as if she were deflating a balloon. She walked to Cindy's desk. Her book was still on it, unopened, and placed carefully at the desk's corner. It was a classic, The Witch of Blackbird Pond. Witch. It was a word Miss Huber knew all too well. It was the same word her students whispered when her back was turned. Usually, she didn't mind this a bit. In fact, she kind of liked being called a witch. The more witchy her students thought she was, the more afraid of her they would be. 
But this book, The Witch of Blackbird Pond, centered on Cindy's desk right after she resisted the voice, was too much. It was too bold, as if Cindy was calling Miss Huber a witch, not in a whispered voice behind her back, but right to her face. How rude. How disrespectful. Miss Hubert swiped at Cindy's book and sent it to the floor with a smack. How could Cindy, mousy little Cindy, have done this? Minutes later, Miss Hubert pushed her way to the cafeteria. Move! she yelled, the voice at full strength. A crowd of children pressed themselves against the hallway to let her pass. Miss Huber hadn't set foot in the cafeteria for longer than she could remember. Why, after all, would she want to watch her students eat? They had the manners of cave dwellers. Besides, the lunch hour was her time. Her time to sit and think and be away from them and their loud voices and loud hairstyles and loud clothes. But today, Miss Huber stomped into a corner of the cafeteria, stood straight-backed by the wall, and scanned the tables. She needed to find Cindy Watson, not to talk to her, to study her. Know your enemy, she reminded herself. This was a bit of wisdom she picked up early in her teaching career. Now seemed the right time to remember it. Since Miss Huber had perfected the voice, not one student, not one, had disobeyed her. Until Cindy. How? There had to be an explanation. Your ears will burn for this, Cindy Watson, she muttered to herself. They will sizzle and they will burn. She scanned the cafeteria. She ignored the lunchroom smells, overprocessed meats mixed with too many growing bodies. She lowered her glasses and peered over them. Suddenly, a voice interrupted her. I'm glad to see you here, Barbara. It was Principal Garcia. Miss Huber let out a little puff of air. She hated being called Barbara, especially around students. She was Miss Huber. It's good for the students to see us outside of class, the principal went on. It lets them know we're human, he smiled. Miss Huber didn't. The week before, Principal Garcia had called her into his office to talk about her tendency to speak a bit forcefully. Miss Huber let out another little puff. This was Principal Garcia's first year as middle school principal. He had all kinds of fresh ideas about teaching. Eventually, she figured, he learned what really worked on children. But for now, he was hopelessly bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I'm not changing my methods, she told him that day. I'm controlling my class. Perfectly, in fact. And instead of calling me in here to ask me to change, you should be thanking me, young man. She stood up when she told him this. When you're ready to show me appreciation for that, I'll be in my classroom. She stormed out of his office, and she hadn't spoken to him since. Now, in the cafeteria, Principal Garcia smiled at her like everything was fine. He put one hand in his pocket as if he were searching for something there. But just then, some student across the cafeteria yelled out, Yo, Garcia, man! And Principal Garcia smiled brightly, waved at the student, and walked towards him to give him a high five. Miss Huber shook her head. She never thought she would see a principal high-fiving students or letting them speak so savagely. Go Garcia, man? It was repulsive. Miss Huber sighed and went back to her search for Cindy. Where are you? She thought. She scanned the near side of the cafeteria. Just then, someone by the soda machines dropped a lunch tray. It clattered to the tile floor. 
Miss Huber turned, along with everyone else, to see who had done it. It wasn't Cindy Watson, sadly. It would have served her right, Miss Huber thought. But it was Andre Parker, the shortest boy in her class. He was standing over his lunch, a mess of french fries and a face-down pizza slice, his cheeks the color of raspberries. One boy called out, Smooth move, Andre, and a few other kids clapped. Miss Huber shook her head. They were such a mess, these kids. No manners at all. No dignity. Then Miss Huber found Cindy Watson. She was walking across the cafeteria holding her lunch tray. Miss Huber pushed her glasses up. It was time to concentrate. How had Cindy resisted the voice? What was so special about her? Cindy walked towards Andre, who was on his knees gathering his mess. When Cindy reached him, she touched his shoulder. Then she crouched down and helped him clean up the last of his scattered french fries. Miss Huber's legs went weak. She didn't understand. This girl was the one who could defy the voice? Andre and Cindy stood. Cindy lifted her plate of french fries and pizza off her tray and held it out to Andre. Andre shook his head shyly, but Cindy smiled, said something, and put the plate on Andre's tray. Then she turned and walked away. Miss Huber couldn't understand it. How? she thought. Cindy Watson was the first disobedient student she had taught in years. In years! Of all the students who wanted to defy her, how could it be gentle Cindy Watson, who had succeeded? Miss Huber's hand started shaking. This wasn't a rebellious girl. She didn't wear black clothes or have strange piercings. She didn't dye her hair blue or break the school dress code. She was the only student who had helped Andre Parker. The only one. And yet, somehow, she had resisted the voice. And if mousy little Cindy could resist... Miss Huber didn't finish her thought. She stormed towards the cafeteria doors. Principal Garcia was standing nearby, laughing with a group of students. Come again, Barbara, he said as she passed. He had slipped his hand into his pocket and seemed to want to say more. She ignored him and burst into the faculty lounge, where she tore her lunch out of the fridge. Cindy Watson must be punished, she thought. Cindy had been disobedient. It didn't matter whether or not she looked like a rebel. She had been told to read quietly, in the clearest of terms, and she hadn't. It was that simple. What she had done for Andre Parker didn't excuse that. Miss Huber pulled a stalk of celery from her lunch bag. If she let this girl defy her, there would be others. There would be chaos, past notes, and blurted comments, and chronic lateness. Yes, Miss Huber thought, Cindy Watson must be stopped. She snapped the stick of celery in half. After lunch, she'd have to confront Cindy in front of everyone. She would have to use the voice at its fullest strength. Miss Huber crunched her celery. If Cindy resisted at first, like she had before, she would give in to the voice eventually. Everyone did. It was like magic. Besides, reducing Cindy to rubble, making her weaken and wobble in front of the others would be a good reminder to everyone that no one was safe in her class. No one. Not even the nice kids. She finished her lunch and clopped down the hallway. She almost smiled, thinking of the lesson that would soon come for Cindy and for everyone else. Do not challenge Miss Huber. When her students trickled into the classroom, she'd burn that lesson into their ears forever. 
She pushed through her classroom door and checked the clock. There were three minutes before the bell would ring and the students would start filtering in. The Witch of Black Pond lay on the floor by Cindy's desk. Miss Huber bent down to pick it up, but stopped short. Cindy could pick the book up herself. Miss Huber sat at her desk and waited. She breathed slowly, in and out. She cleared her throat. And that was when she saw the note. It was a small white card and had been placed on her desk just next to her stapler. The note said, Miss Huber, for all you've done, you deserve this. There was no signature, but next to the note, there was a small black box. It was the kind that usually held jewelry. Miss Huber picked it up. Finally, she thought, someone appreciates me. She remembered Principal Garcia in the cafeteria, his friendly words, and the way he'd seemed to want to say more. He even reached into his pants pocket, like he'd been about to pull something out, hadn't he? Something maybe the size of a jewelry box? That man has finally come to his senses, she thought. He's apologizing. He must have brought his apology gift here while she had been in the faculty lounge eating. Too bad he didn't have the guts to apologize in person, the weasel. She fingered the note. She opened the box. Earrings glittered beneath the classroom light. Gold ones with tiny hoops. Her mouth opened slightly. They were fancier than the simple jewelry Miss Huber usually wore, and she plucked them out of the box. Why shouldn't she enjoy a reward for all of her hard work over the years? She removed the silver studs in her ears and put the new earrings on. They swung slightly from her earlobes. Principal Garcia is still doing everything wrong, she thought. But maybe there's hope for him. When she saw him next, she'd nod and point to the earrings, and then she'd go on using the voice as she always had. The bell rang and the students began to trickle in. After a minute, Cindy walked in and sat straight postured at her desk. Miss Huber didn't say anything. Not yet. She wanted everyone to be present when she began. She wanted all her students to see. The late bell rang, and a straggler, Jaden Moore, speedwalked from the classroom door to his seat. Miss Huber stood. The class became silent. Her new earrings sent light dancing across the walls. She paced the front of the classroom. Twenty-seven sets of eyes followed her. Cindy Watson, Miss Huber thought. A storm is coming for you, little mouse. She almost felt bad for Cindy. Almost. The girl was still just sitting straight back at her desk with her hands in her lap, half smiling. She had no idea what was coming. No idea at all. Miss Huber stopped in front of Cindy's desk. She paused. She pointed to the Witch of Blackbird Pond, which was still on the floor. She took in a breath of air and tightened the muscles in her neck, steadying the voice. Cindy Watson, stand now, she yelled. Or... That's what she planned to do. What really happened was this. Si! Si! She yelled. Then she stopped, bent over, and covered her ears. When the first syllable shot out of her mouth, her ears had grown suddenly hot. They burned white and strong, and the unexpected pain silenced her instantly. After a second, the burning stopped. She touched her ears and felt the new earrings dangling there. She tried again. Sit! she yelled, and this time the pain was blinding. Heat flashed like an explosion in her ears. It was as if her earlobes were being dipped in boiling water, and she winced and lurched forward. Again, as soon as she stopped speaking, the pain faded. Her students looked at her, waiting. Miss Huber couldn't understand it. 
What was happening? She tried again, lowering the voice slightly. But once more, as the first syllable left her mouth, her ears burned and she had to stop speaking. She tried whispering. Even that seared her earlobes, and she thought she heard tiny hisses. The earrings, she realized. Principal Garcia had done something. She reached up to her left ear and tried to remove the earring. She grabbed the back clasp and pulled, but the earring wouldn't unlatch. She tried her right earring, but the same thing happened. It was as if the earrings had fused permanently to her ears. She ran to her desk and fumbled for the earrings box. She read the card again. For all you've done, you deserve this. The voice, she thought. She looked at her students with sinking eyes. Miss Huber, is something wrong? said Johnny Pack without raising his hand. But that couldn't be. Her students always raised their hand. Yeah, you don't look so good, said Amira Cox. She stood up by her desk. Should I get the nurse? blurted Sharon Cross. There was a pause. Miss Huber's earlobes pulsed. She didn't dare speak. She shook her head slightly, and then Bobby Duncan called out in a loud voice. Hey, there's something wrong with Miss Huber. Then, all at once, the children were talking. Loudly, they fluttered. They buzzed. The noises they made swelled and rose, and the kids in the back of the room even stood on their chairs to see what was happening. Connor Davis, in the very back row, jumped up and stood on his desk. Get back in! She started to say, but as she spoke, the heat in her ears flared, and the shock of it silenced her once more. She pulled at the earrings. She tugged at her earlobes. Nothing worked. The noise in the room became deafening. Around her, 27 students bounced and buzzed and yelled. But no, she realized, it wasn't 27. It was 26. One student, Cindy Watson, sat in her chair, statue still. In all the chaos, she'd picked her book up, and she was reading it, silently, with a crooked smile. Which is such a misunderstood word, thought Cindy. Her classmates, the same ones yelling and jostling just then for a better look at their flailing teacher, had used that word dozens of times to describe Miss Huber. What a ridiculous idea, Cindy thought. Miss Huber a witch. Cindy sighed and turned a page in her book. It just proved what Cindy's grandmother always told her. Most people knew nothing about witches. Nothing. This story is called The Staring Contest. Livy couldn't sleep. Again. Even though she and her dad had lived in the creaky old house for nearly a month, everything about it, from the ugly windows that let in the nighttime sounds to the wood floors that creaked even when no one was stepping on them, felt wrong. This house is 112 years old, her dad had told her when they started hauling in their boxes. That makes it the oldest member of our family. Well, if this house is family, she thought, catching the old house scent for the first time, dusty and a bit damp like a barn, then it's a creepy, weird uncle. And creepy was right. Livy smoothed her covers. The first day, when she'd set foot inside the house carrying a box of art supplies, A cold shiver ran down Livy's back like someone had just traced a fingernail along her spine. And it wasn't only the old smell or the way the house looked that gave Livy the shivers. Though the faded yellow wallpaper hanging in peeled strips and the cracks that spiderwebbed across the front window certainly didn't help. 
It was a feeling like the one she got whenever she had to walk through a metal detector at an airport. Like something was examining her to her core. It gave her goosebumps. And those goosebumps rose on her arm every single time she walked into the house. Every single time. It was like knowing someone was filming her, but not knowing where the camera was. Lately, she even started imagining eyes all over the house, as if the walls themselves were watching her. The first eye she'd seen had been in a crack in a low corner of her bathroom mirror. That crack had a round divot in its center, like the mirror had been struck by something, and the breaks that circled that divot gave the crack a disturbing, wide-eyed shape. The next eye Livy found had been in the wood grain of a kitchen cabinet. It was just an eye-shaped knot, Livy knew, but as she ate her cereal, Livy could feel it peering at her, constant and unblinking. Over the last few weeks, she'd even seen eye shapes and cobwebs. New webs seemed to show up all the time. The house had a real spider problem, and whenever Livy found a new web, it always had an eye-shaped tangle of strings at its center. Of course, Livy knew these eyes were just a result of her artistic imagination. She'd been reminding herself of that for weeks. The house couldn't be watching her. But thinking of the eyes made her shiver under her covers. She pulled her blanket up to her chin. Just close your eyes, she told herself. Go to sleep. Her dad's snores murmured into her room, audible through the house's thin walls, and she tried breathing in sync with him. She counted five breaths, then ten, then twenty. It didn't help. How could he just sleep in this house so easily? He didn't seem to get that this house wasn't right. What an adventure, he had said brightly the first day as he turned on the sink and no water had come out. He hadn't seemed bothered by anything, not by the house's smell or its creaks or even the layer of dust that they had spent two whole days clearing away. For him, the house was a hobby. Since moving in, he'd ripped out all of the wallpaper and replaced the kitchen sink. He had straightened the crooked front door and installed a new front window. He'd even put up shiny new rain gutters. He whistled while he did all of this, as if being a handyman was his new calling, as if moving 200 miles to a new job and a new life was the best thing that had ever happened to him. She sighed, listening to his snoring, and counted 20 more of her own breaths. Then 30. Then 50. It had all started two months ago, when he sat her down at the kitchen table one night after dinner. He told her he was tired of being a doctor in a big city, and that he needed to be in a small town where doctors still knew their patients' names, and bumped into them at the grocery store. Then he laid out his plan and showed her a picture of their new house. This house. And just like that, everything changed. One morning, not long after moving in, she pointed out to him how the knot in the kitchen cabinet kind of looked like an eye. But he'd only tilted his head and squinted. Huh, he said. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool? Livy stopped counting her breaths. Well, the house still smells like the inside of an old suitcase. She straightened her covers, realizing the house would probably always smell terrible, no matter how many repairs her dad made. Give it time, her dad had said. You'll warm up to the old girl. The old girl, 
That's what he called the house. Like it was a living, breathing thing. Well, she'd given it time. It has been almost a month and Livy wasn't warming up to the old girl, not by one single degree. Stupid house, she said out loud, and just then the house made a sound, a kind of moaning like the roof beams above her were settling. She sat up in bed. The sound faded, so she fluffed her pillows a few times and flopped back onto it. She narrowed her eyes at the plaster ceiling where the settling, moaning noise had come from. She took in a sharp breath. She shivered and let out a little wince. Because there was another eye. A perfect plaster eye. Opened wide, looking straight down at Livy from her bedroom ceiling. The eye's shape was so obvious, so clear, she was amazed that she hadn't noticed it before. Its lines were sharp. Its pupil a perfect circle. She didn't see how she could have possibly missed it for the last month. This eye was huge, larger than a football, and it was right above her, staring down without blinking. She shuddered. The feeling she'd had of constantly being watched filled her chest. For the hundredth time since moving in, her neck prickled. Stupid house, she said again. She breathed, and she counted ten more breaths and she tried to calm down. It's just a little bit of plaster, Livy told herself. It was a strange accident of how someone had textured the plaster on the ceiling a hundred years ago. One of the splatters had just happened to look like an eye, and that was all it was. That and her imagination. That was all. She tried to ignore the eye, but now that she'd seen it, she knew she'd never be able to stop seeing it. Every time she lie down in bed, there it would be, the stupid plaster eye hovering over her. She took a deep breath and pulled her blankets up to her nose. Maybe, she thought, she could get Dad to scrape the eye off first thing in the morning. Maybe his next project could be retexturing her ceiling. She'd ask him about it at breakfast. She rolled onto her side. Still, she felt the eye. She thought about dragging her bed to the other side of the room. She tried to lighten the mood by making a face at the eye. Staring contest, she said, remembering the game that she had played when she was younger. She hoped speaking out loud would chase the eeriness of the moment away. So she opened her eyes, glared at the ceiling, and whispered, Ready? Go! The eye seemed to shift and open itself slightly wider. It must be the light, Livy told herself. The moon, she figured, coming out from behind a cloud and shining through her window. Still, she tried not to blink. After a few seconds, her eyes began to water. She held her stare, but when the burning became too much, she blinked. When she opened her eyes, the ceiling seemed suddenly lower, as if it had dropped a few inches, maybe half a foot closer to her face during the split second her eyes had been closed. She shook herself. The moonlight, she told herself again. Plain tricks. She looked at the eye. Rematch, she said. She stared for a minute, and again her tired eyes watered and burned. When she blinked and opened them, the room seemed shorter once more, the eye a little nearer. It's nothing, she told herself. She was just missing her old house, the one back in the city. It had high ceilings, so her new ceiling seemed lower by comparison. That was all. Outside, the wind whipped and the window rattled. She focused on the eye once more. 
When she blinked this time, the eye seemed bigger and nearer than it had been just seconds before. It's because I haven't been sleeping well, she told herself. Miss Sleep was making her see things. But when she blinked yet again, she wondered if the crummy house could actually be falling down, sagging under the weight of its age and the strong wind. After two more blinks, she simply could not deny it anymore. The ceiling was dropping, bit by bit, every time she blinked. She started to feel smothered under her covers. Stay up there, she whispered, speaking to the plaster eye. Please. She kept her eyes open for as long as she could, but they started to water and burn. She held them open, looking deep into the ceiling for longer than she thought possible. But when the burning became too much, she blinked. Now the eye was so close that she could have stretched up a hand and touched it. And she knew the truth. The house was out to get her. Maybe it had been from the very first day. Her neck and shoulders shivered. When she blinked again, the ceiling was just a foot above her face, hovering like a wrecking ball. She tried to move, to slink out of the bed and run for her father, but the eye seemed to have her frozen, plastered against her mattress. Dad, she called out, but his snoring didn't change. She fought to keep her eyes open. Dad, she called again, louder. She waited. Her vision blurred, and though she tried, the burning in her eyes became too much, and she blinked. And the eye was so close now, just inches above the tip of her nose, just there. If she blinked once more, what would happen? Would the ceiling smother her, crush her, or would the eye swallow her up? Would she be sucked into it and become part of the sagging house? Dad, she tried to call, but she couldn't even speak anymore. She was quaking, shivering, and the eye seemed to be boring into her. Would she end up just a shape? Another eye somewhere on a baseboard or a window or a wall? What if all the eyes she'd seen had belonged to people once? Actual people this house had devoured. The thought made her breathe short, panting breaths. She strained her eyes, opening them as wide as she could. They burned the plaster eye. Larger than her head hung just over her. It peered into her. Her eyes bulged and ached. She fought through the pain that welled up and tears spilled onto her cheeks. But she was going to blink. She could feel it. No, she thought. Please, no. She put all of her energy into keeping her eyes open. She couldn't last forever. She knew. But she needed to try. She looked deep into the plaster eye. And her eyelids quivered. Her breathing grew short. She strained with everything she had. She tried counting her breaths. Ten breaths. Fifteen. Twenty. But in the end, it was no use. She blinked. Thank you all for joining us on this journey of 31 Nights of Halloween. We love doing it. And we hope that you all enjoyed it as much as we did. Happy Halloween, and remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.